Jesus' most personal and powerful teachings are conversations with his disciples in the book of John. Nowhere else is his instruction both so simple and so deep. Take your place in the upper room to hear the heart of God that still speaks today. Invitation in this series that we're beginning this morning as we journey with Jesus in what is called the upper room. It's just the last hours in the life of Jesus. Within 24 hours, he will have been arrested, beaten, crucified, and buried. And in that time, prior to that time, Jesus is preparing his disciples with what matters most. And we're going to be journeying together through this incredible section of Scripture. In my last church, we had a wonderful person um, who loved the Lord, served the Lord. Her name was Brenda Benartsky. And Brenda, when her two children were in middle school, she was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a terrible disease. She, by the grace of God, was able to live about five years with that, but it was, it was a very hard thing to watch as her body just continued to, to degenerate and to, and to be ravaged by this disease. But when she was still able to write, she suspected what was coming, and she wrote a series of letters for her two children that they would read when they graduated from high school, that they would read on their wedding day, that they would read when they gave birth to their first, chi uh, first child. You see, Brenda wanted to prepare her children for what was coming, and, but she also wanted to speak into their lives after she was gone. And it was a very powerful experience for these children as they read those letters when they graduated. This is the sense of what we get, beginning in John 13, as Jesus gathers with his disciples in what we call the upper room. And he joined with his disciples. He knew what was coming. He knew that within 24 hours he would be dead and buried. He knew what was coming. And he wanted to make sure that his disciples were prepared. And what we see in this incredible section of Scripture, which we're going to take all the way through Easter Sunday, what we're going to see is Jesus not only speaking to his disciples then, but he's speaking to us today. And the lessons that he is giving to his disciples are lessons that speak to our circumstances and our lives today. This morning, we're going to be looking at what is, for some of you, very familiar scripture, a very familiar account. And what can happen sometimes is when we read something that's familiar, is that we think, oh, we know it all. I already know this. No, you don't. Because this is not a textbook that you learn this is a book that leads us to the God who wants to transform our lives. 
And so truth, he will continue to reveal truth in the context and the circumstances of your life. So I want to invite those of you who are very familiar with this account from John 13, I want you just to come to the text this morning as if you've never heard this, never seen this before. Now, what was wonderful for me, because I have preached on this numerous times, I've taught this passage numerous times, God showed me some new things that I have never paid attention to before. And I'm excited to share some of that with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we're beginning in John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Now, the Passover festival was a time when Jews from all over that region of the area would come to Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of people. They would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the great Old Testament feast of the Passover that we see in the book of Exodus. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There are four things, and there are many things we could talk about this morning. It's an amazing passage. But there are four things that I want you to see. Four things that I think are staggering truths that we need to allow the Spirit of God to confront our hearts and our minds with this morning. And here is the first one. I don't think it's me unless I didn't turn it on, which I didn't. I am so sorry. Why do they trust me with this? I have no idea. The first thing we see is that Jesus fully loves his own. Jesus fully loves his own. I've never paid attention, careful attention to this first verse before, but it is so powerful. Jesus 
fully, completely loves his own. Listen to what we read. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There is so much in that, in that first verse. Jesus knew what was coming. He was not a victim of the cross as we would understand a victim. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. Jesus voluntarily was crucified for you and for me out of obedience to his Father in heaven whom he loved and out of love for you and for me. I believe that we were on his heart as he went to the cross. He knew what was coming. He could have he could have run from Jerusalem. He could, have, he could have left the city. He could have hidden, but he didn't. He was not a victim as we would understand a victim. And then we read here that as Jesus, it was his time to leave the world, go to the Father. Then it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What is his own? Who are his own? Who is he speaking about in that moment? Well, as you read the entire passage as I read it, what you see is his own that, he's talk, that John is talking about in that moment are those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Because he mentions that Judas is not one of his own. So his own are those who know and love Jesus. Now, it's not just the disciples, I believe, that the Bible's talking about at that time. It includes all of us as well, or who are his disciples today. Jesus loves his own. Now, I want to say a couple things about this, because I think it's important that we understand this. What we see when we talk about Jesus loving his own, what we see is that the life of Jesus brings blessing to all people, but only those who have put their faith in him will experience the fullness of his love because they have opened their hearts to him, that he may come and live with us. He may come and fellowship with us. He may come and bring incredible blessings to our lives. So Jesus blesses all, and we see that. Because of Jesus, the church has done extraordinary things in the world. It was the church that really developed the idea of hospitals. It was the church, out of mercy and compassion for the sick, that made an incredible impact on the world's attitude toward the sick and in helping the sick. We see, as you look at history, that the church is the reason that the world began to educate not just the royal people, not just the royalty and the wealthy, but made sure that all people were educated. This is the work of the church as a result of Jesus. Jesus, in that way, in many other ways, blessed the world. But the fullness of his love would be experienced by those who are his own. And I want to ask you this morning, are you one of Jesus' own? Are you one of his children? Are you one who has put your faith and your trust in him? Now, I want you to see this passage that comes from John 6. 
It's an incredible passage that I think connects very powerfully with what we're saying. Jesus said, yet to a crowd and to his disciples who were following him at that time, he said, yet there are some of you who do not believe. See, there, there are people who believe and who do not believe. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father, as we'll see in two weeks, no one comes to the Father except through me. We read on and it says, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus knew from the very beginning of time who it is that would believe in him, who it is that would follow him, would be his disciple, who would believe in him as their Savior and their Lord. Then he said in verse 65, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one could come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Who are those who are his own? They are those for whom the Father has worked on our hearts and our minds, giving us the ability to believe. Friends, I don't believe because I'm smart. I don't believe because of the home I grew up in. I don't believe because of the nation I grew up in. I believe because the Father has revealed his truth to me and has made me his forever child. And the same is true for you. And understanding this, the impact of my life, as we'll see in a few weeks, is that I want to love him in return. I want to obey him, not to get him to love me. He already loves me. I want to obey him as an expression of gratitude for what God has done for me, that he has opened my heart, and I have experienced and experienced the fullness of the love of God. Friends, when I pray for people who don't know Jesus, I ask the Father to reveal, reveal Jesus to them. Open their hearts and their minds that they may see and receive what I see so clearly. And I long for them to see so clearly. God, Father, open their hearts that they may believe. Do you see what it says? No one can come to Jesus unless the Father has enabled them. We don't come on our own. We come because God the Father has revealed the truth to us. He has entrusted the truth to us. And I am forever, forever grateful. But I want to go back to what we saw in verse 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now listen to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What is powerful about that passage that I just read, that last line, having loved his own, in the Greek language, that's in the past tense, having loved his own, God loved me, and I can see the love of God in my life as I look back. Can you see it? Do you see it? I see struggles. I see heartache. I see difficult experiences, difficult relational challenges. But I see, too, the love of God. Do you see it? I see the faithfulness of God because I am his own. I see that he has loved me in my past. But it doesn't stop there. He says, and that having loved his own, that verse 
that word loved is also not only in the past tense, but it's in the present tense. God is loving me now. Jesus is loving me now. Having loved his own in the world, he has loved me in the past, it is what it's saying, and he loves me in the present. Now, what is the present going to mean for the disciples? In just a few hours, their world is going to be turned upside down. Their world is going to explode. What they expected from Jesus is not what they're going to get. They're expecting Jesus is going to lead a revolution against Rome, the Roman Empire. But Jesus didn't come to break the tyranny of Rome. He came to break the tyranny of sin and death, which is the greatest need that we have as people. And so often our vision for what we want God to do is so shallow compared to what it is that God wants to do in our lives and in our world. God loves me in the present. He loves me in the past. And, and he, he says, he loves me to the very end. The word there for end is the Greek word telos, which has to do with being perfect and complete. He is going to love me until he perfects me. Well, what's going to happen to them in the hours to come? They're going to see Jesus arrested. They're going to see their master hung on a cross. They think it's over until Easter Sunday. They think it's over. Jesus appears to them in his resurrected body. And he ascends into heaven and he gives them their marching orders as he's given us our marching orders. And they go into the world and 11 out of 12 or 10 out of 11 die a martyr's death. But I wonder if they always remembered these words, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved us to the very end. He didn't leave us. He didn't forsake us. He didn't forget us. He loved us to the very end. I know there's some of you today who are facing very difficult circumstances. You're a disciple of Jesus. You are his own. You belong to him. He loves you to the very end. Nothing changes that reality. Here's the second thing that I want you to see. And that Jesus chose, and I've never seen this before. I'd never paid attention to it before. Jesus chose to wash the feet of his disciples out of his strength. I want you to hear this, friends. This is powerful. He washed the feet of his disciples out of his strength. He humbled himself out of his strength. See, I've read this many times and thought, okay, I got to go out and serve people. I got to do things for people, even nasty things for people that I don't want to do. I got to do things for people that I'm not really crazy about. I got I to gotta serve. I got to serve. I got to serve. But what I never asked was, how is it that I can serve in that way? How can I do what Jesus did with the attitude and the perspective that Jesus had. Not just out of obedience, but out of love. Out of compassion, out of mercy. Now, in that day, when you came into a room like this for a meal, typically you had a slave or a servant who would wash the feet of all the people who entered the room. They're wearing sandals in a very dusty, dirty area of the world. 
And so uh, their feet get dirty during the day. Now, if you didn't have a slave or a servant, as in this case, you being the first person who arrived in the room would wash the feet of all the people who arrived after you. Jesus came with his disciples. Nobody washed one another's feet. It's a pretty demeaning thing to do. It's the act of a slave or a servant. Why would I do that? Why would I do that for somebody? We know that just before this, they were arguing about who was the greatest. If I'm going to be the greatest, I'm certainly not going to get on my hands and knees and wash your feet. I'm not doing it. So how is it that Jesus, Lord and Master of the universe, did this? Well, John tells us. This, I've never paid attention to this before. Listen to what we read in verses 3 to 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Therefore, so, if you see, if, if you have your own Bible, just underline that, those words, so. You might have therefore. He's saying, because he knew this, he did this. Because he knew this was true, he, washed, he got up to wash the feet of his disciples. How is it, how is it, why would God tell us this? Well, there's three things here that are true about Jesus that are relevant to us. Listen to the first thing. Jesus knew he had authority. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus wasn't competing with anybody. He wasn't competing for attention. He wasn't competing for power. He wasn't competing for authority. He knew that he had all authority. And knowing that he had all authority, he was able, willing, I should say, to humbly, with love, wash the feet of his disciples. I think that's very teachable for us. Because God has given us some authority. He has given the church, and we are the church, some authority. And understanding that authority, we serve. We serve from a position of authority. Now, in our world, if you're in authority, you don't serve, right? If you're in authority, you get other people to serve you. Go get my coffee. Hey, grunt, go clean up that mess. No. When you know who you are in this way, you serve with humility. I remember a great story about Alaska Airlines, which I believe the founding people were believers. And they said they, were, they knew that they were having a struggle with their people that were working in the, um, that were cleaning the planes after a, a, a flight came in cleaning the bathrooms, and he, they heard that there was a lack of, of morale among these workers. So one of the highest members of the lead team for Alaska Airlines, a director, a vice president, voluntarily for a period of time came down and side by side, he worked with these people cleaning bathrooms and cleaning after people like you and me. What he was communicating was, 
I'm not above you. I'm here to serve alongside you. Can you imagine how powerful that message was? But it's not just he knew he had authority. He knew his identity. He knew where he had come from. Friends, I would suggest that what's happening in America today with our younger generation is an identity crisis. I don't know if I'm a male or a female. I identify myself by how smart I am or how athletic I am or how beautiful I am. And so we have a hard time because we identify ourselves based on how the world has labeled us. And that becomes who we are. No, the world does not get to define your identity. God defines your identity. And the best thing we can do for the next generation is to empower them, to equip them with a biblical worldview, understanding who they are in Christ. What we tried to do, Beth and I as parents, were to teach our children not how the world sees them, but how God sees them. As children of God. Listen to what it says. And that, coming from Jesus, and that he knew, he knew where he had come from. Listen to what it says again. He knew the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God. This is my identity. I have nothing to prove. You see, true humility comes from an understanding of who we are. I don't have anything to prove. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king of the universe who chose me to be his child and died for me on a cross and is part of my life, leading and guiding me and empowering me and will take me home one day to be where he is just because he likes me. He loves me. The world may say I'm unlovable. The world may say, you're not very good. You're not very coordinated. You're not very smart. The world may say that. But God looks at me and he says, you are my child. I can serve because I know who I am. The third thing that we see is that he knew his destiny and that he was returning to God. So that he got up put a towel around his waist, and began to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. He knew his destiny. What is my destiny? I belong to God now and forevermore. I'm going to be with God forevermore. I'm his child now and forever. I will live with him forever. That's my destiny. Nothing can change that destiny. Romans 8 teaches us that. Nothing can change that destiny. I am his child. I will live with him forever. He is going to take me home again. Why not serve? What's beneath me? Nothing. I remember this incredible story when uh, at my last church we had an intern that people, just quite frankly, saw as a little prideful, a little full of himself. And he was a pretty confident guy. But everything changed one trip where he led a mission team of young adults and, uh, and older high school students to a really rough area of New York. And they stayed at a church that did a lot of work with homeless people. And for whatever reason, the bathrooms there were 
absolutely disgusting. I feces on the walls. It was no, not good. And so our team got there, and everybody was pretty discouraged. This intern, without ever being asked, without everybody anybody seeing anything, saying anything, not drawing any fanfare, got up, went into the bathroom for the next couple hours. He cleaned that entire bathroom. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. Why not? Why not? Here's the third thing that I want you to see. And that Jesus requires that you allow him to serve you. Jesus requires that you allow him to serve you. I believe that what's going on here is really a parable. It's a parable. It's a story that Jesus is using. And parables were often done literally, not just telling a story, but they, they lived it out. They acted it out. And I think what's going on here is Jesus is showing, hey, this is what it takes to be my disciple. Not his action, but to receive it. Listen to what happens. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm about, uh, what I am doing, but later, later you're going to understand what, th- what I'm doing. See, it's more than, hey, I'm just setting you an example, go do this. It's more than that. He said, later, you're going to understand what I'm doing, okay? No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part of me. Then Lord Peter, uh, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. What is he saying? You see, it took great humility to wash the feet of the disciples. But imagine the humility it took to allow your Lord, your Messiah, to wash your feet. Imagine what it took, the humility that that took. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking um, about when we were growing up and, and uh, four boys in the family. And I remember that sometimes mom wanted us to do a job and four boys, none of us wanted to do it, of course. And, and, um, and, and the worst thing was, not that mom would make me do it, but that mom would go in and start to do it. That would make me run in and do it, because I felt bad. Don't do that, mom, I'll do it, I'll do it. Actually, Chris would always say that, I'll do it, I'll do it, let me volunteer. Jesus began to wash his dirty feet. Remember what it said. He said, Jesus said, later you will understand. What is he saying here? Here's what I believe he's saying. Peter, you think this is hard, me washing your dirty feet? What about me washing your soul? What about me cleansing your sin? What about me going to the cross and taking the punishment that you deserve for what you have done upon myself? Peter, if you can't even accept this, how will you ever accept what my death means for you? Friends, it takes great humility to be a Christian because you are saying to God, I know that I'm a sinner in need of grace. I know that I have failed to live the life 
that I was created to live. I know that I have rebelled against you. I know that I have denied you. I know that I have run from you. I know that I have lived more for me than I have for you. That takes humility, doesn't it? I know it takes humility. Every time I know that I'm wrong when I'm disagreeing with my wife, but I don't want to admit it. I can say that because she's not here this morning. She's up in Sacramento. So I can say, this is our secret, right? She doesn't know that I do that, okay? But what about coming to a holy God and saying, oh my goodness, I have failed. God, I can't do this on my own. I can't go to heaven on my own. I can't follow you on my own. Oh God, come and save me. Oh God, come. Come and wash me, cleanse me. As Tim read from the Old Testament this morning, oh God, come and cleanse me. Make me white as snow, God. I can't do that on my own. I need you. I think what Jesus is doing is a parable of his death and what it means. The humility of Jesus to go to the cross and to die a common thief's death. To take, become sin for me and for you. But can we receive that gift? Will our pride allow us to receive that? Peter would understand later. And then finally, and this is what we usually focus on, but I want to end very briefly with this. Jesus calls us to follow his example to serve. It's so beautiful at the end. When he had finished washing their feet, Jesus put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be, what is the word there? You will be what? Say it. Blessed. You will be blessed if you do them. Huh. You mean, if I go serve, I'll be blessed in my life? Yeah. That's what Jesus said. You mean, if I do things that I don't want to do for somebody else because that's what God wants for them, I'm blessed? Yep. That's what he's saying. Friends, I think one of the hardest places for us to serve is in our closest human relationships. I think, I, I know that often in marriage we do a tit for tat. You don't meet my needs, I'm not meeting your needs. You don't do what I want, I'm not going to do what you want. That's not the heart of a servant. That's not somebody who knows their identity in Christ. That's not, that's not somebody who knows where they're going. That's not somebody who has the authority that God has given to us as the church. I do. I do. I serve. I don't, don't play that game in your closest human relationships. With your children, with your parents, with your spouse, with your best friends. Don't play that game. Rather, the question to ask is this. What can I do to show the love of Christ to you? 
How can I love you in Christ? How can I demonstrate the love of Christ for you? Now, there's a flip side, too. The hardest people to serve are the people that we're not so crazy about. Can you think of one or two in your mind? The people that you're not so crazy about. What did we read? Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus continued to love him. He washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, who would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because that's the heart of God. Do as I have done for you. What would it mean for you to serve somebody in your life maybe that has betrayed you, like Judas betrayed Jesus? What would it mean for you to serve somebody It's really hard for you to serve? Jesus said, you will be blessed if you do it. Will you pray with me? Our Father, in this passage that's familiar to many, we thank you for the power, and there's so much more here, that we need to know, that we need to see, that we need to understand. God, our heart's desire is to live the life that you have created us to live. Lord, we believe that the greatest blessings come from choosing to obey you and to live as we were created to live. But Lord, we don't even do it for the blessing. We do it out of gratitude that we're your forever children, that we belong to you. Now, Lord, speak to each of us today. Take a moment of silence. Who is that person that God is calling you to serve today or this week? Maybe it's a, a note that you're going to send them. Maybe it's doing the dishes. Maybe it's asking for forgiveness. What would it look like for you? What is God saying to you? We give you thanks, Jesus. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.